Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к преддверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которые очертила десница Твоя для поклонения святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего. Пропитай нас Духом Твоим Святым. Позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки. Веди его рукою превознесенную. Великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь. Можете садиться. Как хочется птицей в небо Взлететь и остаться с тобой В то прекрасное чистое небо С белоснежной небесной красой Посмотрю на греховную землю И вздохну с облегченной душой Никогда, никогда не вернусь я Буду вечно на небе день будет в это, я верю, Со Христом остаюсь навсегда. В царстве вечного дивного света, Где нет рака, ни тьмы никогда. Скорби нет, там болезни и страха, Бог отнёт нам рукою слезу. Мы преклоним предвечным колени, Воспоём славу, честь и хвалу. Я не вспомню никогда.
Иисус, как я счастлив, что Ты Оправдал и омыл своей кровью И облек в ризы Божьей любви Наделив неземной красотою Чтобы в город вратами войти Съединившись со всеми святыми И на камне на белом моем Имя новое вписано кровью И на белых чистых Всегда прибуду с Господом тогда. Забудь всю печаль, не вспомню никогда. И на белых чистых облаках Встречу Иисуса я тогда. Всегда прибуду с Господом тогда, Забуду все печаль, не вспомню никогда. И на белых чистых облаках Встречу Иисуса я тогда. Всегда прибуду с Господом тогда, Забуду всю печаль и вспомню никогда. Забуду всю печаль, не вспомню никогда. Спаситель, о том, что... 
Постоянно исполнять Крепится 
If you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depths of the riches and knowledge of God that has not yet been revealed to us and the Lord wants to reveal to us in accordance to the time that we live in and, of course, in accordance to our faith. Matthew 5:45 and 48 that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. <clears throat> Again, I want to remind us that the perfection of God consists in the fact that he has placed himself in dependence from his own words. He is vigilant over his own words. And he sends his son. He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. And it shines differently and rises differently for each one. The one he blesses, the other it curses. He sends his rain on the just, and they're blessed by that rain. And the unjust are punished by that rain. That is the essence of his perfection that we are all called to as well. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets of the covenant and established in the new tablets of the covenant, allowing God the ability to give us the promise to be heirs of peace, not by the law, but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. <clears throat> to Abraham, whom he made the father of all Christians all over the face of the world. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans 4:13. We need to know that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God or our obedience to the preached word spoken by God's delegated persons. According to Prophet Isaiah, the word that he has spoken is the faith of God, and our faith is obedience to that faith, that word. Therefore, the promise of peace is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which God sends us his word by his delegated people. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God. We need to determine or examine whether a person is truly sent by God to present the power of his word by the sequence or succession order written in Scripture. Romans 10, 13 through 17. 
For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? <clears throat> and so one who is sent, one that preaches, the kingdom of heaven needs to be sent. Further it says, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. By the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace demonstrated in the, in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and be within the heart of a man as evidence of the fact that we are children of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace present in the covenant of peace is actually the treasury of our hope in God, containing the complex of all of the promises of God. When accomplished, this is the goal of the given to us righteousness. Therefore, it is righteousness by the means of the peace of God contained in the covenant of peace that can and is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. From our mind, a lot depends. The kind of person you are is what's in your heart. Be anxious for nothing, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving is knowing that upon your account what you've, you are asking for is already laid. Our prayer needs to take from that account and we need to thank God and we already know that it's there we know that God has fulfilled this for me in Jesus Christ may be accordance to his word and so let your requests be made known to God with prayer and supplication and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus the peace of God that is able to guard our thoughts in Christ Jesus are thoughts that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, which are the mind of Christ in our spirit. Because to be carnally minded is death. And so the human mind, it <clears throat> and can only work within the thoughts of the flesh, which is why they do not obey the law of God and are not able to. And with all of the desire of a person to be in Christ Jesus, he cannot be. Romans 8, 6 through 8, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so to live in the flesh to, is to have this carnal mind. To live in the spirit is to have spiritual thoughts. Spiritual thoughts are only able to be in a renewed mind. If the mind of a person is not renewed by the spirit of his mind, then he will never be able to have the correct thoughts, spiritual thoughts. He'll think they're spiritual because he's trying to meditate about the scriptures, but they'll be carnally minded because they will not be obedient to the word. They will be perverting it and correcting it so that it fits their ambitions and their desires. According to the statement, we conclude that people that have not allowed the truth of the preached word in the power of the Holy 
Holy Spirit, to renew their mind by the spirit of their mind, have no connection to the peace of God and are not able to have it. And consequently such people have no connection to the sons of peace either, that by the means of the peace of God would inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven. We need to apprehend this well, that it is only the collaboration of our spirit with our mind that which is in Christ Jesus, we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and dress our body into the resurrection of Christ. And now to look at the righteousness of faith, bringing about the inheritance of the peace of God, and to understand the conditions outlining the way our righteousness needs to garment itself into the armor of this peace so that our mind would be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, we have come to the necessity to look at four classical questions. What are the qualities of the peace of God in Scripture called to guard our minds in Christ Jesus? What power does the peace of God have within the relationship of God with man, man with other men, and man with all of the world? What conditions do we fulfill to be clothed into the peace of God, called to guard our minds in God? And by what signs are we able to determine, examining ourselves, that we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God? Because it is by the reign of the peace of God within our heart that we are able to determine and examine ourselves that we are the sons of God. As it is written, blessed, as one who is blessed, blessed are the peacemakers, for they, people who perform peace or who have peace within their heart, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, Matthew 5, 9. We've noted that if a person has not died for his nation, for his house or the house of his father and for his corrupt desires that has been inherited from the sinful seed of his fathers, then his justification which he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus in the format of a guarantee we receive salvation in the format of a guarantee, it will never convert into righteousness, by which we would be able to receive and be clothed into the promise of peace, so that we, in righteousness, would be able to bear fruits of peace. And furthermore, not dying for your nation, house, and your corrupt desires, the promise of peace will be taken from you, giving you the right to be called a son of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelations 3.11. We need to remember that the promise of peace receives its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith in the covenant of peace, which places responsibility upon both parties or both sides of the covenant where each side of the covenant is responsible to fulfill their role that is implemented by God according to the requirements of the existing covenant. And if one of these sides breaks or violates the agreement that was made in the covenant of peace between God and man, we need to note that such a violator can only be a man, then the other side, being God, is released or freed from the responsibility of fulfilling the agreement of the covenant of peace. <clears throat> Therefore, the fruit of righteousness identified as the peace of God within our heart is evidence of the fact that we are sons of peace or sons 
of God. This serves as grounds or a basis for God so that he may fulfill his side of the covenant of peace, which consists in leading us into the inheritance of his son, so that we would be able to share with him the fulfillment of all that is written about him in the laws, prophets, and psalms. Because the justification that we receive by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has converted into righteousness with which we became able to bear the fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with all those around us. As it is written, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. <coughs> We've noted that in this place of scripture, we are talking about a form of unique and supernatural peace that is able to function only within the boundaries of holiness or be an expression and demonstration of holiness. These outlined and identified boundaries of holiness are the commandments of God that contain the given law of God. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Romans 12:18. Therefore, the peace that we demonstrate out of the boundaries of holiness and not as an expression of holiness will be incriminated to us as a serious form of lawlessness for which we will be required to pay a price of eternal life because our communication with people that the scriptures identify as evil company will corrupt our good habits and will transform us into their wicked image. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupt good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, 34. It is impossible and criminal to have peace with the unclean and the lawless who support the unclean, that in their time accepted the truth, but afterwards left their church and turned away from the holy commands that were given to them. The very fact of their rebelliousness and resistance of the words from God's delegation that are placed over them testify of the loss of peace in their heart and member them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20 through 21. And this is not the only place of scripture. I want to remind us that an unclean is only that person that wants the role of the person whom God has placed over him. All of the rest of the people that support him are the lawless. And so the unclean, only, there are only few of them. The unclean can only be the helpers of the pastors that want his role because a regular member of the body is not able to want or, or to uh, claim the role of, of, of the pastor because he has enough helpers that want to claim that role. And when they try to claim it as Satan wanted the role of God, we need to understand that this uh, wickedness is not fornication or other sins, but when a person wants to become the one whom he is not actually. And those people that support such a person and perform division in the nation of God are people that are lawless. In the previous services, we in a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith, have already looked at the first three questions and stopped to study the fourth question. By what signs are we able to examine ourselves that we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God, called to share the inheritance of Christ contained in the laws, prophets, and psalms?
We've noted that the limits or boundaries of holiness within which peacemakers, similar to their Heavenly Father, perform peace within the time and boundaries ordained to them by God are the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord in the format of the elementary principles of Christ. The tool by which the sons of peace perform peace within the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord is the righteousness of their faith. In a specific format, we've already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves that we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. The first sign by which we need to judge or determine that we belong to the sons of peace is by the format of our justification, which we received independent from the law, from the law of Moses, freely by the grace of God in the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, Romans 5, 1, 2, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. <clears throat> to have the peace of God within your heart by being justified by faith, by the redeemed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, is possible only by listening and obeying the preached words spoken by God's delegated people that are placed over us by God. For all of the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen, to the glory of God through us. 2 Corinthians 1.20 The order and principle of the delegated responsibilities of God given to his people is confirmed by Christ himself, who in his time was also delegated by the Heavenly Father. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me. The second time he says this, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. John 20, 21-23 According to this place of Scripture, the authority to forgive sins of man is given to the delegated persons of God <coughs> that are up, that upon the, that is upon the condition that the person repents in his sins and confesses them. This authority is not given to those people that are elected by a majority vote. He who, bear, who hears you he, hears me, he who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Luke 10:16. The second sign by which we need to judge or determine that we belong to the sons of peace is by our ability to have peace within the boundaries of holiness and as a de demonstration of holiness identified as the given law of God in the elementary principles of Christ. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12:14. This is what we talked about a little bit higher. Holiness is the ability to differentiate and separate dead works from works that are done by God, and the ability to differentiate, the, dif differentiate and separate the form of life of the old man from the form of the life of the new man, and the ability to depart, avoid, and not communicate with evil company that hate the truth of the word of God. The third sign by which we need to judge or determine that we belong to the sons of peace is by our membership to the congregation of Israel, which is the, sh the chosen by God remnant who received Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 13 through 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished he becomes our peace again when we become one in Christ Jesus. 
having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Ephesians 2, 13 through 16. According to this place of Scripture, the remnant of Israel is not able to reconcile with God without the chosen by God flock of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are not able to reconcile with God without the remnant of Israel. The fourth sign by which we need to judge or determine that we belong to the sons of peace is the pour of the Holy Spirit upon the wilderness of our heart, which will become a fruitful field that will be counted as a forest. Because Jesus said, Who thirsts come to me and drink. Isaiah 32, 15 through 18, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. This is talking about a thirsty, cracked up land. And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. The work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in a quiet resting place. And the given promise of peace belongs to the door of our hope. It is talking about enthroning of the, of the peace of God within our mortal body by the means of the righteousness of our faith. The fifth sign by which we need to determine that we are part of the sons of peace is demonstrating zeal for God where we prevented the sons of Israel from being destroyed by making atonement for them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, he turned back my wrath from the children of Israel, because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Numbers 25, 10-13. The symbol of zeal is the dying of our carnal members in the form of fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which are idolatry. The sixth sign by which we need to judge or determine that we are part of the sons of peace is by having the kingdom of heaven inside of yourself. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Romans 14, 17, 18. Identifying righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, which identified the kingdom of heaven inside of us, we've been studying in the grown by us fruit of the tree of life. The seventh sign by which we need to determine that we are part of the sons of peace is by the ability to clothe your essence into the holy and selective love of God. Colossians 3.14.15 But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3.14.15 
we've noted that according to this place of scripture, the rule of the peace of God in our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if we will be clothed into the selective love of God. By itself, the selective love of God is an uncomprehendable for the human mind goodness of God, or kindness that is inherent to God. Since in the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehendable for the human mind goals and works of God, called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and His children. Defining the surpassing our understanding selective love of God, demonstrated in Christ Jesus, Apostle Paul said that having the love of God is supposed to fill us with all of the fullness of the peace of God. Make us perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. Ephesians 3.16-19 through 19, That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is that width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. The phrase that you may be rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints indicates the necessity to find the narrow gate in the form of a good wife, symbolizing all of the saints that are included in the category of God's chosen flock. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord, Proverbs 18.22. We've already talked about uh, that this is not talking about a wife in the flesh. However, spiritual wife uh, may be, he, she is not Christ, that you may receive favor by marrying her. Grace can be received by the church or uh, through the church that you're in or in the church that you're in. To find a good thing and to obtain favor from the Lord is to discover the treasure of the kingdom of heaven upon your field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field, Matthew 13:44. Looking at the meaning of this parable, we see that if a person will not find by searching for the treasure of the kingdom of heaven that is hidden in the field, he will not be able to use the grace of God to bring about his salvation. The symbol of this field is our body that is under the control of the law of sin and death. But that, but that at the door of our hope, in the given promise, that is called to liberate him or us from the law of sin and death. Upon the condition that we sell all that we have for this field, in the form of our earthly body to whom the kingdom of heaven belongs called to liberate our earthly body from the law of sin and death we sell all that we have including our nation the house of our father and our life in the flesh therefore finding a good wife is making a matrimonial contract or a marital union with a specific church of saints who satisfy the requirements of God's chosen flock or God's remnant according to scripture the selective love of God is a true virtue that a virtuous wife possesses is kindness and goodness that is grown from knowing God by listening to the preached word about the kingdom of heaven that is inside of a man. And such a virtue grown by God within the heart of a man from the seed of the preached word of God about the kingdom of heaven is defined 
specifically again god is able to grow this we this kingdom of heaven again is in the form of the tree of life and as a virtue grown by god within our heart from the seed of the priest word god word of god about the kingdom of heaven is defined in scripture we are not able again to receive the seed of this tree of life, the kingdom of heaven, until a person dies for his nation, his house, and for his destructive desires. Here, it's ta this, we're talking about this kind of tree of life that is grown inside of ourselves, this kingdom of heaven grown inside of ourselves from the seed of the preached word of the kingdom of heaven. And in scripture, this virtue is identified as wisdom that comes from above, moral perfection, the bond of perfection, splendor, greatness, beauty, magnificence, and glory. This is in Hebrew, the definitions of virtue. However, to have more practical specification when it comes to the selective love of God, we decided to look at the character and quality contained in the selective love of God as the true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the spoken word of the apostles and the prophets. Grace and peace be multiplied to you, 2 Peter 1, 2-8. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By these promises, we're able to become a part of God's divine nature. And Apostle Paul says we can receive them in Jesus Christ. And remember that all, the, all of the promises are to be inherited through Christ. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, again, these are supernatural things that are not able to be not a single dictionary can tell you what virtue is, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Yes, they'll explain what they are, but they absolutely will not be those things that the Holy Spirit spoke about, because when they explained them, uh, when we're talking about, say, love, love is the bond of perfection of all of these qualities of virtue. And so true virtue demonstrated in the qualities and characteristics of the selective love of God is none other than the royal crown of the righteousness of God. Therefore, virtue that we are called to demonstrate in our faith in the selective love of God is the love of God that comes from the goodness of God. This quality is identified as the great mystery of God contained in the word of his redemption. And without controversy, Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy 3.16, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Because of this, we began to study the selective love of God in the context uh, or format of seven qualities of virtue, which are we are called to demonstrate in our faith to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly bodies in the resurrection of Christ, that is, into our new person, before we are raptured and meet the Lord in the air. 
And this promise was concealed for thousands of years. People always wanted rapture, but never saw that before rapture there was another promise that is given at the door of our hope, and this is to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our mortal body and to clothe the body into the resurrection of Christ. And for this reason, you need to eliminate the law of sin and death from the body. And to eliminate it, you need to eliminate the old person. When you eliminate the old person, then the law that discovers sin and gives power to sin will not have the right to remain there because he is there only because the old person is there. The sinful man who is a programmable system for the sin, for the genetical line that we have received from our fathers. And for this purpose, it was necessary for us to first differentiate the selective love of God from the tolerant love of man. As the quality of the selective love of God does not compare in any way with what man calls love. Because the virtue of the selective love of God are eternally existing virtues and characteristics of God himself, as well as his all-consuming holiness and all that comes from God, because God is love. And such a love coming from a similar goodness of God is defined in Scripture as the bond of perfection. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfections, Colossians 3.14. Not looking at the fact that in the Hebrew language, love is uh, spoken in six different ways. In the Greek, four different ways. Philio is a friendship love, storge is that love that is that pertains to familial bonds or connections. Eros is the love between a man and a woman, matrimonial love. And agape is the love that is God's love. Four uh, words that all identify love, but different love. And so the, all of the other forms of love, again, are egotistical and are not compared to that love agape. As we talked about, every one of these other forms of love, it has an, ego, it has an egotistical uh, nature. You are my mother, you are my friend, you are required. You are my wife, you are required, you have to. People, when they think that they're required, whatever you may do for them, they're never going to be thankful for it. However much you do, they will always expect more because they, in their mind, decide what you need to be doing. And when you give to them a thousand instead of uh, what was in their mind as two or five thousand, they become offended and angry. You could have given more. He was my brother. He is rich. Does he not see how poor I am? And so forth. And so this love, uh, familial love and uh, friendship love and the love between man and a woman, it does not uh, compare to the love of God agape. And so the bond of perfection of the selective love of God within the seven given qualities of virtue is unconditional. Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God is in no way able to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes because it possesses a flaming jealousy of God, all of the knowledge of God, and the absolute wisdom of God. At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes. Here is what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God, the selective love of God. 
Set me as a seal, Songs of Solomon 8, 6, 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. The unconditional nature of the selective love of God can be received and given exclusively by knowing the truth and receiving the Holy Spirit upon the basis of absolute and reasonable willingness of the man. And to better understand the way we are called to demonstrate the works of virtue in our faith, the work of virtue demonstrated in the love of God, we need to remember the genesis and virtues of the selective love of God, the purpose of unearthly love within our faith, the price of obtaining the unearthly love of God agape, signs as evidence of the selective love of God in your faith. In a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith, we partly have already looked at the virtues the scriptures present concerning the spring from which the selective love of God flows in the atmosphere in which the peace of God can reign. And while defining the wellspring from which the perfect love of God flows, we came to the necessity to separate the perfect and selective love of God from the imperfect and tolerant love of man. In Scripture, the goodness of God comes from the selective love of God, which is contrary to evil that comes from hatred of the fallen angels and men that are within the power of these fallen spirits. Therefore, as in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, the level of power of the selective love of God is determined and is known by the level of power of the hatred of God toward evil and evildoers. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions, Hebrews 1.9. <clears throat> this place of scripture is taken from the 40, uh, 45th Psalm. Considering that good and evil <clears throat> are programs to love righteousness and to hate lawlessness, is only possible in their carriers, which are their programmable system. <clears throat> And so <coughs> righteousness is the programmable system for God's truth. And the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked are the ones who love violence. His soul hates them. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire, and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright, Psalm 11, 5-7. Therefore, to understand the nat natural essence of the selective love of God and the goodness of God, it was necessary for us to look at what or who God loves and also what or who God hates, because only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we will be able to fulfill all of the fullness and be filled with all of the fullness of God and demonstrate God's reaction in our faith concerning things that are good and evil, considering that in Scripture perfection or the fullness of God 
that is contained in his selective love, it's within the symbolic number seven. I will therefore limit myself to seven components, identifying what God loves and seven components identifying what God hates, although there are many more of them. In the previous services, we in a specific format already looked at seven components, identifying the selective love of God in the format of what and who God loves, and have been studying who and what God hates. I will remind us of the two components that we have become familiar with, and then we will continue our study to the third. First, the selective love of God that flows from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns in its nature, hates people that hate the Lord. Second Chronicles 19.2 And Jehu the son of Hananiah the seer went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. This was the king of Israel that he united with. We sometimes make union with those that are of the synagogue of Satan. They call uh, their churches by all kinds of name, hope and and love. And you need to not look at how these churches are called, but how their pastor became a pastor and is the principle are the principles of Christ preached there that are that came in the flesh? Is the kingdom of of God preached there? We've noted that only those who know the Lord are able to hate Him. They choose their they choose their gods and their desires over God. Otherwise, how can you hate or not communicate with one that you do not know or know only in part? And again, I say that these people choose their gods and their desires over God. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Psalm 139, 21, 22. When I speak these words, millions of Christians just become angry at me. They hate me for these words. They say, God loves everybody, but if God loves everyone, then why do you hate me? Then love me the way that I am. If God loves everyone, you say, God loves everyone, then love me, but you say, God loves everyone, but hate me and pervert my words and twist my words as they did for the apostles and prophets and Jesus also. Second, the selective love of God that flows from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns hates those people that perform wickedness in Gilgal. All their wickedness is in Gilgal, for there I hated them. Because of the evil of their deeds, I will drive them from my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebellious. Hosea 9.15 We note that first the evil that was committed in Gilgal consisted in that Israel rejected prophet Samuel so that he would not be their king and placed over themselves Saul as king. The definition of the word Gilgal is eternity, is the circle. This is where the tabernacle of Moses was. Second, the evil that was committed in Gilgal consisted in Saul with the advice of the nation rejecting the word of the Lord that was spoken to him by Samuel about destroying the memory of the Malachites from under the heavens. This was why God hated them and drove them out from the house of Gilgal and rejected Saul from being king. Third, the selective love of God that flows from the virtue of God that 
atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns. In nature, hates robbery for burnt offering. Isaiah 61, 8, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. We need to immediately note that it is talking about the relationship of two categories of people in the church. The one is carriers who perform the justice of God, and the other are carriers that perform this robbery for burnt offering. The carriers that perform justice are people whom God loves, the one that God will reward for hating those who do this robbery for burnt offering, and he will also make with them an everlasting covenant. And such carriers and demonstrators of God's justice are carriers of his selective love in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns. Carriers and demonstrators of the robbery for burnt offering within the body of Christ are the unclean and the lawless men that are overfilling the churches. We need to ask the question, by what signs do we determine this robbery for burnt offering in our fellowship? And in what way do we bring about the justice over these robbers who rob for burnt offering? Otherwise, how can we hate robbery for burnt offering in men that do such evil if we won't have specific criteria of this disguised evil in the nation of God, in our very churches? And how can we carry out a verdict of vengeance in the justice of God if we are unfamiliar with the specific statute when it comes to implementing justice over men that do this robbery? Robbery for burnt offering is taking hold of a part of the possessions or property of a man or all of the possessions or property by the way of trickery or force, as well as other manipulations where the will of a man is forced or suppressed and he is placed in an uncomfortable position where he is not able to say no to the robber who wants to take his possession. Oh, my brother, I see you're in need. I have money. I can give you some as a loan. Take a thousand. Take two. Oh, thank you. And he takes it. After two months, he comes up and says, Brother, I need 20,000 immediately. And he says, I don't have the money. But he says, I have your house. You can uh, take from the, from, the, from the equity. or." And this unfortunate, this happened in our church. This man did go and take those 20 from his house. He took it from his equity. And uh, a, a, a month, a year passes, and this gentleman didn't return that 20. And then leaves the state. And there are enough people in other churches as well. I'm just letting you know what robbery consists of and what it looks like. We give a person without some kind of document, without some kind of guarantee, you need to, when you give these kinds of loans, give me something that costs 2000 If you're loaning a person $2,000, give me something that costs $2,000. And when this person returns the money, you'll return that item that costs that much money. And I'm just showing forms of robbery. The nature of robbery for burnt offerings can be bribery for something done or advice that was given. One brother comes to another brother and says, I will tell you how to improve your business, but for this you will give me 10% of your business from now on for the, for the advice that I will give you. And he says, no, thank you, I'll do it myself. 
when you are a, uh, where a person I'm not talking about the world I'm talking about the church when the scriptures say something it's about the church when when this robbery with force happens among the people and so it's also uh, a request and uh, this uh, nature of robbery for burnt offerings a request requiring some kind of work to be done for an unju- for an unjustifiably low wage or low pay and so you give them uh, you hire and then the time that a person spent and means that a person spent his own uh, he he paid him what what a person paid. Uh, pretty much didn't even cover those things. Robbery for burnt sacrifice is any good work that does not come from God. Pursuing the satisfaction of one's religious ambitions and fleshly publicity, as it was in the case of Ananias and his wife Sapphira. They had given a part of their possessions and uh, left the other part for, for publicity. Because Barnabas was very wealthy and he sold his lands and brought it to the feet of the apostles and glory about him spread how much he brought and they desiring to become greater and to look greater in the eyes of others. And so this was the Ananias and so they wanted to be as this Barnabas who did this and but they never gave all of what they had they gave only part and and deceived the Lord however and so in this situation the robbery for burnt offering was directly aimed against the Holy Spirit in that case robbery for burnt offering is also a form of the look of virtue where one person puts another person into an uncomfortable for him position where he needs to pay for the done for him virtuous work they place a condition uh, and and you you think it's a good work and then this person says well pay me now a small example, say, you invite a person to dine with you in a restaurant, and when it comes time to pay the bill, you offer the one you invited to pay the bill. But forgive me if I often say, if you wanted to eat in this restaurant, then you could have easily done that without the presence of the other man, because it's very possible this person you invited didn't have that kind of money and did not count on this kind of spending. I remember when I just came here, a brother really wanted to take me to a Chinese restaurant. They have very interesting food there. And for me, every dollar was very, very important. We just came here and we come into this restaurant and I was trying to take less uh, and when the time came to pay, he wrote out a check for himself and his wife and tells me, if you don't have money, I can also uh, give it, pretty much pay for yours as a loan, and you can pay me back. It's good that I had in my pocket the cash uh, uh, that I needed, but that was, and I was required to do that. I didn't have much. And so when this kind of thing happens, uh, this is a robbery. When people think that robbery, they think a person running into a house and taking things from your house. No, it's talking here about what things happen in the nation of God, and these are all... Uh, all these things are disguised or covered in some way that makes it look like it's not what it is. By prophet Isaiah, God gives an example of how a person who hates the robber for burnt offering and carries out the verdict of judgment over the person that is doing this evil. 
The sinners in Zion are afraid, and so these are sinners in Zion. They're not somewhere, they're on in Zion. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell in, with everlasting burnings? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hands, refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil, he will dwell on high, his place of defense will be the fortress of rocks, bread will be given him, his water will Will be, will be sure. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. They will see the land that is very far off. Your heart will me meditate on terror. Where is the bribe? Where is, where is he who weighs? And where is he who counts the towers? You will not see a fierce people, a people of obscure speech, beyond per perception of a stammering tongue that you cannot understand. Look upon Zion. The city of our appointed feast, Zion, is a church is here. Again, this is all on earth. The city of our appointed feast, your eyes will see Jerusalem, a quiet home, a tabernacle that will not be taken down. And now we have a fighting Jerusalem physically and the spiritual Jerusalem, the church of saints that... And the brotherly, uh, wh whose brotherly councils uh, are often called as fighting councils, they don't say brotherly, they say fighting councils because they fight so much. And so when this stops in the church, when there'll be one soul, one, one heart, one mind in all, then only well will this happen. Not one of its stakes will ever be removed, nor will any of its cords be broken, but there the majestic Lord will be for us, a place of broad rivers and streams, in which no galley will or will sail, nor majestic ships shall pass. For the Lord our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. When Christ reigns in the body and dresses the body of the chosen God flock, uh, then this atmosphere will be inside and then not from within, not from outside will you be able to steal or do something. Your tackle is loose, they could not strengthen their mast, they could not spread the sail, then the prey of great plunder is divided, the lame take the prey. Isaiah 33, 14 through 23. However, the most criminal and devious nature of robbery for burnt offering that can be incriminated to each of us by God is done in the spiritual realm within the boundaries that we carry responsibility, including ourselves. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading? What is, what is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothes, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. <clears throat> he was there, <clears throat> and so it says he was there. 
But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Luke 10, 25-37 To understand the consistency of the given parable, it is necessary for us to see who is identified in the symbol of her personage. Here's her personage, a person that was focused on going from Jerusalem to Jericho, was attacked by criminals and was absolutely robbed and sustained deadly wounds. The reaction of the three people who discovered him on the way to Jericho is the priest, the Levite and Samaritan man that was going the same way in the direction of Jericho. The difference between these three men and the Samaritan man was that the robbed man, the Levite and the priest were all walking to Jericho on foot. At the same time, the Samaritan man was going this way upon his donkey. And, of course, then on this donkey brought him to the inn. We then see the inn and innkeeper and how the Samaritan man gave two denarii to the innkeeper for the care of the robbed and wounded by criminals man. The goal and point of this parable is identifying your neighbor that you are supposed to love as yourself in order to have eternal life. Looking at this parable, we conclude that the priest and the Levite were not only not able to be a neighbor for the man that was attacked by criminals and that this priest and Levite became a the fact that these priests this priest and Levite actually became a part of the criminals as they did not fulfill their calling from this we conclude that not all present <clears throat> that are present on Zion are able to be our neighbor who at this time is the specific church of saints who were partakers of the body of Christ <clears throat> not all the people uh, in the church of God are our neighbor, according to the parable, because unfortunately many of them are either thieves or those who support these thieves or criminals. About whom prophet Isaiah spoke, the sinners in Zion are afraid, fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. The position of neutrality is the position of the corrupt, tolerant love that the priest and the Levite demonstrated not having judged the thieves, because the concept of tolerant love is criminal as it does not condemn wickedness and does not demonstrate mercy toward the robbed and beaten man. <clears throat> We will look at the event that happened in the given parable in our own personal essence. <clears throat> we won't look at this in the in physical terms, but we'll look at it. Look at it in our own personal essence, as we in our essence deal with our robbers. And when we deal with these robbers within ourselves, no one, no criminal or thief from the outside will make us afraid. But the opposite, we will now be the fear for the unclean and the sinner upon Zion in the midst of our churches. Therefore, it is necessary for us to understand the reason that this man walking from Jerusalem to Jericho ended up falling 
Among the thieves, we know that Jerusalem, the city of peace, is the city of peace at the same time Jericho is the city of righteousness or city of justification. Therefore, the reason by which a man of Jerusalem decided to go to Jericho from Jerusalem is his goal to obtain the promised justification of his earthly body. Jerusalem is a symbol of our new person. Therefore, being a citizen of Jerusalem, our new person, by the means of righteousness, by faith, already has peace with God. But to bring about the promise of justification in regard to our body, in which the new person lives, it was necessary for him to take the journey to the city of palm trees, that is, to Jericho. This is the reason he was traveling by foot, because the donkey <coughs> is a symbol of our earthly body. With, upon which Jesus entered Jerusalem, as well as the symbol of peace. The symbol of the heavenly body is a horse, and a symbol of the earthly body is a donkey. And so, again, the donkey is a symbol of our earthly body, as well as a symbol of peace, upon the condition that no one has yet ridden on it, or no one's been a ruler, except for our new person. Our new person presents Christ for earthly body. But since the sin, but since rain, uh, sin reigned in the earthly body in the form of the old person, he was required to go to Jericho by foot. Because his donkey, although it was his possession, was in the hands of his enemies and was being ridden by his enemies who met him on his very donkey on the way to Jericho and robbed him by this uh, body and so these corrupt desires these destructive desires robbed this person therefore a person that fell into the hands of the thieves on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho is the person that obtained the promise for his earthly body this promise that is called to be accomplished at the door of our hope and this promise consisted in by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus be delivered from the law of sin and death so that we can enthrone the resurrection of Christ within our body and clothe our body into the resurrection of of Christ. Thieves are our sins in the form of our earthly carnal or earthly members, whose regular regulator and leader is our old person. The priest and the Levite is a symbol of the representatives of the law of Moses or the, the law of works that reveal sin within our earthly body and give power to sin. And being the representative of the law of condemnation, they do not present the interests of our body even though they live within our body in order to reveal sin and give power to sin, which is why we are required to walk that same road to Jericho by foot. In the service of condemnation, the priest and Levite are not able to defend us. This is the service of condemnation, not justification. The certain Samaritan is a symbol of Christ, symbolizing our new person, created in accordance to God in Christ Jesus, who has a renewed mind and power that is contained in promises that belong to the door of our hope, that is the promise of meeting the Lord in the air. The donkey upon which the Samaritan man rode and upon which he brought the wounded man to the inn and gave him to the care of the innkeeper is a symbol of our body in the death of, a, of the Lord is a symbol of our body in the death of the body of Christ committed to the death of the cross for our sins and resurrected for our justification. 
And so this body of Christ that is given for us and upon the cross and resurrected. The inn is the church of Christ in the form of a specific domestic church. The innkeeper is the symbol of the Holy Spirit shown in the delegated persons of God filled with the Holy Spirit without whom we will, will be able to inherit any promises including the promise that belongs to the door of our hope. And consequently the symbol of our neighbor is Christ in the form of the delegated person of God that we are commanded to love as ourselves to inherit eternal life in the promise that belongs to the door of our hope. We need to ask the question, in what way are we able to love our neighbor as ourselves? The answer is simple. For no one ever hates his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Ephesians 5.29 To love is not feelings but to do something. To hate is not feelings, but to do something. It's an action. To avoid communication with the sinner is to hate. To love is the opposite, to communicate and help. According to this place of scripture, we conclude that to love your neighbor as yourself is to love your neighbor as your own body. And this love is in no way connected to our feelings and more are connected to our good acts that lead our feelings. You don't love your body with your feelings. When you look at your face, you don't have emotion. Oh, you want to touch the face. You don't have that. You, you may not like your body even. You add, uh, you put makeup on you, but you love your body. You care it for it. You, you nourish it. You warm it. And so the love for your neighbor is like that, not in emotions, but in fulfilling the commandment. If you love me, keep my commandment. Considering that our time is up for today, we will bend our knees, however, who is comfortable, and we will pray. And all who desire to confront their fears, sins, dependences, illnesses, any kind of anger inside the heart, we'll pray for you, and may the Lord bless you. We believe that according, in accordance to Scripture, upon this place, God delivers people from the dependence of money, dependence of fear, dependence of all forms of sin, and from illnesses. And upon this place, God gives people faith and the opportunity to receive in themselves the promise that is at the door of our hope that Christ before he meets us will gov govern in our body and that will be that sign that was given to Enoch a testimony he received before he was raptured to God or taken to God and so those who will be raptured living are those in whom Jesus Christ will be reigning and whose body will be clothed into the resurrection of Jesus amen let us pray I'm going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that the Lord is faithful to his word that he truly wants to deliver you from fear from sin from sickness and clothe you into his resurrection close your eyes this is your secret room lift your hands to the Lord this is a sign that you're ready to receive from the Lord what he desires to give you pray together with me Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with an opened heart, with my fears, with my shame, with my sin, with my dependence. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, 
cleanse me, heal my wounds, heal my sicknesses, protect me from shame. I receive you into my heart as my Lord and my Master. Enter in and be that ruler and king of my life. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. I will ask everyone to remain in their place. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May all this be upon you and upon your children and be fulfilled upon you, and the nation shall say, Amen. Please stay here. I want everyone to look. 70% of those who came out here were children and underage people. You may rise and take your seats. 70% were children and under... I just wanted us to understand how you can listen to a person. It's so difficult. It's, you can't understand what he says. Children will be judges then. How can they what they understood and why they came up here and why they repented today? And now let us proclaim unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.